Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jan Art Podcast. I feel like I haven't been here for about a year. Uh, today, I'm, of course, with uh, one of my sidekicks, Adam Karsh, and our other part-time sidekick, Julie Van Rosendahl. And we're um, so happy to have you guys here today. I think it's been, uh, we're, we've got lots to talk about today. We're going we're gonna to be revisiting um, a year into the new frontier. And what that looks like for all of us and what change. I have got a list of questions for my comrades here. Um, That's about as long as my leg. And I went to bed thinking about being excited to hear what you guys have been up to, what you're thinking about, what's the same, what's not the same, uh, how kids are doing, what's it like having kids at home. Julie's got a teenager. Adam's got two young girls. Um, Food, fun, entertaining ourselves, driving around, tr- maintaining friendships. Anyway, we got a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but first of all, there's something that um, we all want to talk about on the show that we've kind of been holding in our back pocket for a while. And a lot of you may already know about um, our dear, dear, darling friend, Caitlin Green, uh, the, the producer of our show. Um, my sidekick for sure on the show. Uh, we have talked extensively uh, this past oh eight or nine months about Caitlin's pregnancy, and we had lots of fun going along with her on her journey. I've never had kids myself. Adam has two little girls, as I mentioned, and Caitlin and her husband Kyle were, you know, kind of letting us in on their journey with her pregnancy. And um, anyway, long story short, uh, the ending is nothing like what any of us could have possibly have imagined, but Caitlin and Kyle lost their little boy, Sam. And in Caitlin's, how beautifully she put it, she said she has far more questions than answers but um, it would be considered a stillbirth. I really don't have any of the medical details to share with you. Uh, Caitlin was a week overdue and she was induced in a Toronto hospital. Uh, She was surrounded with wonderful experts, the finest care in Canada, um, uh, to no fault of certainly anybody's, but uh, their little boy who they named Sam um, they were unable to um, bring him around. So you can imagine uh, how tragic it has been for Caitlin, Kyle, and their families, their friends, their workmates. Uh, everyone is at a complete loss as to what to say. Um, and you guys, I, I certainly want you to to have your own comments, but... I had found out just the day after, and of course I was waiting to hear from Caitlin. I said, let me know how it goes. And, you know, in the evening on Sunday, and I knew she'd been induced on Saturday, I I just thought, oh, maybe they're too busy. But then I, of course, found out. Anyway, I want to share with you before I, I, I go over to Adam and Julie, a link. Um. I should probably read this statement from Caitlin, which would would really help, I think, 
bring her voice into this conversation. Uh, this was Caitlin's Twitter post of six days ago. So I'll just read this quickly. We wish more than anything in the world that we were sharing a photo announcing the arrival of our baby boy, Sam Green Bonarchuk. Instead, we are announcing the passing of our angel, Sam. He was born and left us on March 14th. We have more questions than answers right now, more pain than we could have ever imagined possible. We also have the love and support of many kind people and the knowledge that Sam was so very deeply loved by us and will forever be by our side. I will be taking some time away to recover from this tragic loss and ask that you keep our Sam in your thoughts, prayers, and most importantly, in your hearts. We will never forget the exceptional care, expertise, and support we received from the staff at the Mount Sinai Hospital. A donation page has been established in Sam's name with proceeds supporting the Francis Bloomberg Center for the Women's and Infants Health at Mount Sinai. I'm going to give you that link now. It's support Sinai, so S-U-P-P-O-R-T-S-I-N-A-I dot C-A slash for Sam, all one word, F-O-R-S-A-M, period. There is an active link in this bio as well that I'm going to share with you guys. Uh, Caitlin and her husband uh, continue to say we are also being supported by the Pregnancy and Infant Loss, P-A-I-L, the PALE Network, and encourage any parent who is suffering to reach out and know that you are not alone. You can support their important work here. And I know this link's kind of long, but you can certainly go on to Caitlin Green on Twitter, Caitlin Green on Instagram and find the links. But I will tell you this now in case you have a pen or something to jot it down. Um, it's donate.sunnybrook.ca slash P-A-I-L. So you can find those links. So that's the update on our dear Caitlin and her husband, Kyle. And uh, not the outcome anyone could ever possibly imagine or expect. And we just want you to know, and this is definitely from Caitlin and Kyle, if you are in any way going through a similar situation with anything, with a parent, loss, grieving, um, make sure that you reach out. Make sure that you you get the help you need. There's lots of resources out there. So we hope to have Caitlin back. Uh, as you can all understand, she certainly needs time to um, to just get her feet under her. But she's got beautiful family and, and her husband, Kyle, and, and they have a, a very extensive support system. Anyway, over to you guys. I know it's been hard, certainly on you, Adam, and, and Julie, all of us as Caitlin's friends have just, you, you don't know what to say, do you? you just, no. When, when you told me, and I, I, you know, Jan, you and I knew before it was public news, but when you told me I was in such shock, I, such disbelief, and that whole day I was not productive and I was just in a daze. And mm. that night I had a complete breakdown. I was so distraught and it took me two. like, even now I'm sad and upset yes. and I still think about it, but I was in a daze and a fog for two weeks. I was so devastated and we were along the ride for the journey. We talked about yes. it every week. So I felt like we were, you know, inner circle in her pregnancy journey. So to hear that news, I was not expecting to hear that. And I, Oh um, gosh, no, oh, it, couldn't, it couldn't have been farther from anything I could have fathomed. And so you can imagine with Caitlin and Kyle, 
you know, experiencing that in real time. But this is a real thing out there. And I think to have this opportunity to speak to this and for Caitlin to be so transparent. And of course, they took some time just with their own family, but incredibly brave, very generous. And um, uh, yeah, it's this, there's just no... It's very difficult for all of us to address grief, wouldn't you say, Julie? Just how yeah. do you go about approaching someone? How do you talk to them? How do you have a conversation? Exactly. What do you say? What do they need? What, what can you do? And I cannot, I can't fathom this kind of grief. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I've been thinking about Caitlin and, and Kyle and Sam, you know, since before yeah. just anticipating his arrival and yes. And I'm just so heartbroken for, for all of them. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to process. And, and there's, you know, I think when it comes to grief, the only way through it is through it, but how do you help somebody through it? Well, I think it, it uh, begs the question of when you know someone, you know, when you have someone in your life that suffers an incredible loss, I don't think we're very well equipped in our culture and not very well taught, not very well educated in how to correspond in any way with people you know we send sympathy cards thank heavens they have cards that say i'm sorry for your loss because it's much easier to send a card than to speak to them but i um they also are real people with real lives that Mm want to know what's going on they want to hear the news they want to know what your kids are doing and they i I think in for 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 me my friendship with kate and especially i've i've told her kind of things that are going on on the set and And right away, I kept in correspondence with her. And I just said, I'm thinking about you. I don't know what to say. Yeah. But I'm telling you, you're freaking strong. And you're going to get through this. So don't ever be reluctant to stand in a room or to not reach out to people. Don't feel like you can't reach out or even make a phone call. Leave a voicemail. Do it. People might not pick up. They might not get back to you. But I'm telling you, they will appreciate your thoughtfulness, your words, don't stand there and do nothing. Exactly. Exactly. And, and check in further down the road. Cause I feel yes. like, you know, grief sort of comes in waves and it, it's not going to, you know, get better anytime soon. So checking in regularly. Um, just, and like you said, just say, I'm here, I'm here. I'm yep. thinking about you. I'm, if there's anything I can do, you know, if I lived closer to her, I would, I would bring food, yeah. <laughs> you know, I yeah. would, but just those gestures, just letting people know, I think you're right. A lot of people are, are afraid to, they don't know what to say. They don't want to, they want to say the right thing and they end up not saying anything. Um, exactly. Well, yeah. uh, in, in my, my, my very humble opinion, don't be afraid to leave that voicemail. Don't be afraid especially even if you're standing in a room with someone six or eight months later, I think the tendency is to go, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to pretend it never happened. And I think it's almost like someone that has, you know, a, a spaghetti noodle hanging across their eyebrow. You can stand there and kind of look up at it and look down and look up at it and be like, right, should I say something about the spaghetti noodle? Should I? And I think, I think just say something, say, I love you. I, I know what I heard what happened. And you know what they're going to say? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And then you can get on with the conversation. You're listening to the Jan Arden podcast. And this, of course, is dedicated to Caitlin and Kyle and their beautiful son, Sam. 
who is traveling the universe and uh, we'll find them again. Groups of souls travel together. Stay with us. We've got lots to talk about. Welcome back to the Jan Arden podcast. I am with Adam Karsh, as always, and my very special guest and friend, Julie Van Rosendahl. We are here. Uh, Julie is also in her home in Calgary. Um, that her headquarters, uh, she's been doing her CBC stuff. Her, you've been teaching classes from home, virtual, yeah, virtual cooking classes. Um, I'm going to talk to both you guys about working from home. Here we are a year into this, a little more than a year. In some parts of the world, we're inching into, what was it, November of uh, 2019? So we're coming in the year and a half mark. Um, Julie, I'll start with you. What, what's the same? What has changed? Uh, did you ever think you'd be working from home to the extent that you are? And, <laughs> and what are some positive things about that situation? I'm looking at your microphone setup, your spit guard. I'm looking at your headphones. I'm- yeah, I'm all set up. So it hasn't really changed a whole lot for me. I mean, the 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 live events, you know, the the live classes, the traveling, the you know, all the in person stuff has changed for sure. Has stopped completely. But I I've worked from home for a long time, so I'm used to working on my laptop in bed, in my chair, in my office, at the dining room table, uh, in my kitchen, you know, because some of, so much of my work revolves around food. Having, the, having my kitchen close by is important. I shoot my food, take pictures in the kitchen. Um, I've often thought I should have an office that I, that I go to, but I, I do most of my work from home. I wouldn't, you know, I would, I would do it from home anyway. So it, that part hasn't changed a lot. Um, but yeah, all the traveling to the studio, I mean, I really wonder if that's going to ever go back to the way it was. I agree. To the studio to do their segments, you know, it's, it's just so much faster to set up, have the lights, have the, you know, the video live stream and, and do the TV and radio. I've been doing my segments on CBC every week from my dining room table for over a year. And I don't know when that's going to change go back. I wish I wish I was the person that invented ring lights. Right? Oh yeah. We've all got these glam setups now. Yeah. Everybody everybody I know has I'm sorry about these stupid dings on my phone. I hear them every podcast and I don't know how to turn the tone off. So if someone can write me and tell me how to stop the dinging on my messages. Um, it's, it, but it's Maybe. on my computer. It's oh. on my computer. It's the alert. Anyway, um Adam, you often talk about working from home and that you never, ever want to go back to the way it was. Yes, I do love working from home. And I think because of technology, and we've addressed this before, like, look, I started in radio in the late 90s. Well, I couldn't have worked from home in the late 90s unless you installed a (laughs) $10,000 reel-to-reel machine, a broadcast (laughs) antenna, and a satellite dish on my house in order to do what we do. But with the technology available to us, all I need is a laptop, an internet connection, headphones, and I can do all of this. Like, look, we, look what we're doing now. This is a marvel of technology. Yeah. We couldn't have done this even 10 years ago. Totally. So it's amazing. It's well, brilliant. all the companies, all the companies that said, 
uh, we can't have work from we can't have four day work weeks with people working at home one day a week. And now it's it's the, the polar opposite. Uh, they have mm-hmm. a skeleton crew in these giant office buildings that basically sit empty. I, I know here in Calgary, you know, the downtown core is slowly kind of coming back. I think the warm weather will get people onto the streets a little more, but it is a ghost town down there. Mm-hmm. Those buildings are empty. They're trying to figure out what to do. Um, with so much of the space that they have with no bodies in them. You know, they have someone going in that normally has 250 people sitting at their desks and now they have like 32. Yeah. Yeah. And people have figured out how to, how to communicate that way. I bet companies are saving a ton on travel expenses, you know, people not traveling to meetings, not flying across the country and, uh, and getting rid of their office space. But you're right. What's going to happen to all those office towers? Well, is this the beginning of how cities assemble themselves. Mm-hmm. Is this the beginning of what, what does a modern city look like? Is it the skyscraper going forward? I mean, people are probably laughing at me saying this. I mean, you look at places like Singapore that is at the height and the, the, the prestige of some of the best architecture the planet has ever seen, these beautiful buildings um, that are awe-inspiring. But is that how people are going to live? Are we going to be able to find people to put in them? I'm sure we'll get back to it. People mm-hmm. are so resilient. But looking at it now, there was an exodus from Manhattan. There's been hundreds of thousands of people move to upstate New York, to Connecticut, to uh, places where they know they can work from home. And they're like, screw it. I'm not going to be in downtown Manhattan anymore with all this stuff. You know, they were hit with 9-11. Um, that kind of scared a lot of people off. And then COVID, I mean, if you guys have ever been to New York, uh, it was like the perfect storm. Mm -hmm. Going to those delis with the flimsy glass shield between you and 89 hot items that you're like, has this broccoli been here for six weeks or am I just, (laughs) you know, but you know, New Yorkers, they, they didn't miss a beat. They'd have their styrofoam things, their lids flipped open and they were going to take dinner home. Though that's over. Yeah. I, that will never come. I don't think the buffet will ever come back. The all you can eat. The no, we've way, talked about no. this. Julie, you weigh in on that. You're the food person. Well, all you can eat will, will never go away. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be brought to the table. I take all you can eat as a personal challenge. <laughs> you know, the, the, the sneeze guards, I feel like, are not sufficient for, for buffets. But yeah, buffets. What are going to happen to buffets? What, what about sharing plates? You know, restaurants used to be built on, on sharing. sharing we bring food. stuff for the but table. Bring, exactly. But, you know, I have friends even in, you know, in Toronto and larger centers, Vancouver, moving out, moving away from the expense of real estate so that, you know, they can afford to live since they're working at home anyway. But I feel like, you know, the restaurants and the, the office buildings, that's where so many of those, those small daily interactions happen. You know, seeing people saying hi, you know, chatting about your meeting or your idea or your, you know, these little, even at the grocery store, those little personal interactions. And, you know, when I see seniors, especially out on the street at the grocery store, I always try and make an effort to make eye contact, Yeah, say something, because I, I feel like those little, those little interactions, you know, go, getting in the elevator, going up the elevator with a few people, seeing them on the street, seeing them in line for coffee. I think that those, it contributes a lot to our, our health, our, our mental and our physical health to have those little social interactions 
Oh, it's, 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 it's very important. And humanity is based on that connection. It's based on sharing. Mm -hmm. It's based on this um, idea of shared responsibilities. You know, the way people, you know, getting back to the whole food thing, sharing things that they caught, sharing crops that they grew. Uh, Everyone did the work and everyone benefited from it. So we have been a little bit displaced from each other for sure. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we're also seeing, you know, how people have used technology in such a fascinating and effective way. I I have to kind of go to the kids learning at home. I mean, who would have thought that computers that were kind of the scourge of every parent, like, put that away, put your phone away, put your lap. Get your your computer, get your computer out, put it on the table. Uh, That that was the, you know, something really important to be able to look at their teacher and to be teaching yeah. from home. I know it's not the same. No, uh, but the fact that we can do it, you know, we can and my it. son, who my son is 15. I feel like, uh, I feel like girls in general tend to, to need to be around their friends in real life more. Well, we so. can't go not, to the bathroom not alone. to generalize, but, but, but Willa, my, my son is most of his social interactions are on, uh, video games. You know, he's got his headphones on and the microphone and they're talking to each other and they're laughing and their, <laughs> their characters are like shooting each other, like defending each other on screen. And so, you know, I want to say, you know, no more screen time, get all, you know, but that's where he's getting his, he's an only child, right? That's his social interaction with other kids. So he's spending a lot of time on screen between school and between video games. Well, I think, you know, there's always that thing. Things will change when he meets the girl or the guy or whoever he meets that, you know, stirs up his, his, uh, you know, imagination and gets his heart pounding. And, you know, I think that gets all young people kind of into a different realm. You know, they want to take a walk in the park or go for a bite to eat or get a shake somewhere. It doesn't matter how long people are going to be on this planet. I, I still think young love and, and the meeting of new people are, will change the geography of how they've kind of been living their lives. Our pals are going to be like, you're no fun anymore. Yeah. You're always with Sheila. Anyway, you're listening to the Jan Arden <laughs> podcast. I'm with Julie Van Rosendahl and Adam Karsh. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Jan Arden podcast. This is the Oh, what are we, 13 months, 14 months into uh, what we thought would be oh, a couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks. I remember March the 7th, my last flight coming back from a corporate job in the Bahamas. Few people had masks on. There was rumblings about this thing that was coming. Very weird to think about to it now. Um, but anyway, I had a booking for a rental property in Palm Springs. I was going to meet a couple of friends down there on the 16th of April. And I'm like, Oh, this will be, there's, there's, we don't have to cancel that reservation. My friend was saying to me, do you think we'll be able to go? I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. I just think they just have to sort of figure out what it was. It's laughable. Now I still have that credit. Uh, I think it's VRBO that I have the credit on for a house rental, but I don't think I could have seen this being what it is. And I, I really know from my perspective in the music business, we're pretty sure we've got another year and a bit to, to hack through before we're seeing large gatherings of people seeing music. But um, I'm kind of proud of myself for just 
being able to adapt to, you know, be out here in the trees with my dog and to have kind of kept my wits about me. And I've been trying to keep busy and, and uh, you know, cause our incomes are just almost cut off completely and you're like I have to rethink myself I have to rethink how I'm going to make myself through the world so Julie I mean you talk about just being at home but you've you've done lots of stuff you you were just on the heels of your beautifully successful book Dirty Food oh yes you were you were just coming off of the incredible success of your book and probably we're going to be doing book tours and all kinds of things that you had planned and it it ended it ended. Yeah. And all the, the cookbook authors who are releasing books now are doing virtual tours, but people are cooking. People still have to eat. People are cooking at home more than they ever have in their lives. The dishes are unreal. People are cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks and, and getting fatigue, I think from it all. But, uh, but yeah, so in, in my area of work, you know, people are still eating, thankfully. Tell me, tell me about your relationship or, or what your general consensus is with how our relationship with food has been affected by this pandemic. And I also want you to address a little bit, because you are on the ground zero of this in many ways, is, is food insecurity, uh, not only globally, but I think people were very surprised to see the food insecurity in Canada. We always think, oh, mm-hmm. Canada, land of opportunity and abundance, but there's a lot of people here that go week to week, if not day to day, with trying to feed themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and we have enough food. We just need to make sure people have access to it, can afford it. Uh, with the CERB for a while, I think that was a huge help for a lot of people who were living with food insecurity. Uh, and I, I worked closely with a lot of food relief agencies early in the pandemic, um, tried to recognize gaps because obviously, you know, a lot of these organizations that rely on volunteer groups to come through and, and prepare meals, that wasn't happening anymore. Uh, with schools closed last year, of course, that cut kids off from, from, you know, for a lot of them, school was their main source of food between the breakfast and lunch programs that schools had. And, uh, and so, I, I mean, the pandemic has brought so much to light about <laughs> how we could be doing things better, mm-hmm. how we need to pay more attention to the people in our communities. And, and being home, I think, has, has helped that a lot. You know, people have realized uh, the impact that they can have on small businesses, supporting independent businesses, local businesses, you know, not just ordering everything on Amazon, yeah. making an effort to, to support local, to look around their communities and see how people are doing, how they need the support of the people around them. Yeah. Um, and that's so important. I mean, we can, when, when it's so big, when these situations are so big, people are, tend to get frustrated because how do you tackle this? But I think the answer is looking around you. And if we all paid more attention to the people around us and did what we could, asked, what do you need? You know, it's hard to ask for help, but it's not hard to ask if people need help that we could take care of each other. Right. Yeah. My 89 year old Marianne Seely, who lives in Saskatoon. Um, she inspires me every day. She, before the pandemic was in lots of church group, uh, her chop and chat, which always makes me laugh. They got together to prepare community meals from their church mm-hmm. and service to, uh, you know, uh, a really 
actually a huge part of their community in Saskatoon. Mm -hmm. A lot of people benefited from the meals they made. But anyway, when it all came to an end and they weren't sure about the food, Marianne continued baking from her home. Even she, she used to say to me, she's very much alive. I don't mean, I just mean she would tell me early days that, oh, my daughter found me flour. My son found me, you know, 10 pounds of flour. Uh, and she was making banana breads and carrot cakes because she loved to make them. They were easy. And she sent me pictures of her with a big rope, her lowering these bags of carrot cakes and banana breads to a woman at the church from her chop and chat so that they could take them, you know, to people that needed them. So, you know, human ingenuity. And I think we've seen so much of that this last year Mm -hmm. of to try. And we are so desperate for that connection. But food was a huge connector, Julie. Don't you agree? Of how we did share those meals and how people in Mm -hmm. apartment buildings left cupcakes on somebody's door with a note that said, enjoy, we made extra, you know, Mm -hmm things that you would never have seen happen a year ago. Totally. I mean, food is a way that we support each other. You know, food is social. Food is um, nourishing. It's a way that we connect with each other and we show that we care. And it's something that, that most of us can do. All of us can relate to it. But uh, yeah, over the holidays, I swear, every time I came home for a walk, from a walk, there was a pile, <laughs> a bag, there's preserves, there's cookies. There's like, it was awesome. Uh, and I, and I, and I love that just the, the gesture of cooking for people. I want to hear more about chop, chop and chat. So they, I don't, they got together. I I think it's that the, the very atypical church basement with the kitchen down there and the black and white tiled floor and the little plastic chairs stacked in the corner. And, you know, the giant vat Mm -hmm. coffee maker that could do 89 gallons of black crappy coffee. And they would sit down there and just talk to each other, a bunch of women, which is very, um, you you know, that, that gathering, I guess, you know, going back in time, that tribal idea of, you know, sitting and women sitting around and, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. preparing things. Um, But they just loved it. And Marianne really missed that aspect of it. I know she's still going to church virtually. She says it's not the same. You know, yeah. the, her None the of pastor, the pastor's on there and, but she's, she's on there. It's really saved her. And she's so good on the computer. Marianne, yeah. like 89 years old, she is anyway. Yeah. Chop and chat, cooking I, for your community, providing for your community, bringing food in, making stuff for people I love it. that normally, you know, there's a lot of people out there that don't cook. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and I think, have you seen a change? We've got a couple minutes left in this segment mm-hmm. of people that have taught themselves to cook or been forced to cook. Tons. Well, Adam, you were saying, too, that you are cooking way more. People are forced to cook and they're learning more. In the last year, I have really upped my cooking game. I've, <laughs> I've new, new recipes, new techniques. I'm a gadget guy. I like the toys. I'm like looking at gadgets and kitchen things that are like way out of my price range. I'm like, Risa, that's my wife. Risa, we need a, we should get an outdoor pizza oven. <laughs> you could make one. Go to, go to, go to Rona or go to yeah. Home Depot. And we're, we're open to sponsorship, either Rona <laughs> or Home Depot. And uh, go online, Adam. I bet you any money, you could f- get the, uh, the, the do it yourself 
uh, instructions of making a pizza oven. Why don't you try it? We can I talk should. about that in a few weeks. We have a pizza stone, right? Like one of those, like you put in the oven, you use a pizza stone. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. That's that's your meager beginning. You can build everything around that damn pizza stone. Yeah. I feel like pizza ovens are going to be, I mean, cooking outside for sure, since gathering outside is our kind of only option and yeah. limited at that is going to be a thing. Fire pits, barbecues, pizza ovens outside. Well, we're going to talk more about food and more about, you know, things that are the same, things that have changed. You're listening to the Jan Arden Podcasting Show. We'll be right back. Because cooking in the kitchen is so much fun. We're cooking dinner for everyone. We're cooking in the kitchen, baking a cake. So many yummy things we can make. Hello. This is Jan Arden. This is the final segment of today's podcast. I'm with Julie Van Rosendahl. Adam Karsh is in Toronto. Julie's in downtown Calgary. And um, I'm in Rocky View County, Alberta. I guess it's known as Springbank. Uh, some people call it Sperm Bank. Just to be, <laughs> just to be naughty naughtersons. Um, we've been talking about coming up or presently in the kind of one year mark of COVID. And uh, I'm wondering, I'm wondering so many things about what you guys said. We've been talking about food a little bit and how people's relationship with food has been accelerated uh, exponentially to uh, very high heights of Adam was talking about cooking at home and how much his skill set has improved uh, with his white wine and fresh pea risotto with far- yeah. Parmesan cheese. Risotto is not an easy thing to make. No. Yeah, it is. No, it's time. It's it's easy. You just need to be standing over stand, the stove. Well, that's not, yeah. so, not nothing I'm prepared to do, Adam. Uh, I'm a set, set it and forget it kind of cook. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, the, um, the one-pot pastas have been really interesting to me. And that is not pre-cooking your noodles, but rather having a cast iron frying pan, putting your tomato sauce in, a um, bunch of vegetables, dropping hard, you know, you know, uncooked pasta sideways in your frying pan, breaking the end off if you have to to fit it in, putting the lid on it and coming back to it 15 minutes later and having a so you skip the the water and you skip mm-hmm. all that. I I, mm-hmm. I just thought it was impossible that it would work, but it does. But anyway, does. yeah, just we all went through the bread making thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the pictures of bread on the internet were absolutely fantastic. A lot of first time sourdough people. He likes bread and butter. He likes and Julie had a sourdough starter uh, that I believe was well over a hundred years old. The origin. Yes. You want to talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, How how does that even happen? A chef in the Yukon, uh, Chef Kat, sent it to me. So she's got this 1898 sourdough starter that has been going. So she she dries it. It's, It's actually in the Sourdough Museum in Belgium. In Belgium, they have a sourdough museum. And I don't know how many starters they have in this museum, but it's a sourdough museum. So people so walk through specimen, there to look at jars filled I with would. dough? I would. <laughs> Could you imagine the smell in there? <laughs> it would be tangy. <laughs> uh, so, so she sent me some dehydrated. She dehydrates it and grinds it up. You can grind it up in a, in a, you know, spice mill coffee grinder and, and sent some to me. And so I revived it, shared it with some bakers with her permission. Revived it doing what? How? With, with water, flour and water. 
flour and water. That's so you're, you're, you're capturing the wild yeasts in the air. I take my sourdough starters for a walk. People laugh, but you're exposing it to different air. You know, if you're, can you just speak to that? I cannot not ask you about yeast being in the air without, (laughs) I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight. Well, so you're, you're capturing these wild yeasts in the air with the, your mixture of flour and water. It's like a paste that you sit on your kitchen counter. Okay. And so the more you expose it to different environments, the more you could potentially, you know, like I should really just take it up to my teenager's bedroom and put it on his desk and see what, <laughs> see what funkiness comes from that. So is there actual yeast in the air? Oh yes. And on our skin and on the surface of things and Jeez. fruit and everywhere, it's everywhere. So, so bakers who make sourdough regularly, they've actually tested the, the, the skin, their hands for, for yeast. And they have more yeast on their hands than, than other non-bakers. But I, I live right in between cold garden and dandy. So I took mine for a walk. I actually went down to dandy into their, their big tanking fermenting room and, and asked if I could just walk through with my open jar of, of oh, sourdough starter. This is before I got the 1898 stuff, but yeah, I've got a bunch. I've got a bunch in my freezer put away. I've got some in the back of my fridge getting hungry. It's got a nice layer of hooch on top, but because my oven isn't working very well at all fully, you probably I'm not, blew I'm it up trying to make pizzas, right? Probably made too many pizzas. Actually, that's where I first realized there was something going, going on. The bottom element of my oven is not working. So at Christmas time, I'm- Have you still not got this fixed yet? Do we need no, to appeal? No. Okay, what kind of oven do you have? Who do we need to, to find out there? In whoever's listening to this podcast, Julie's oven mm-hmm. is a what? It's a La Cornu. Okay. It's French. It's very fancy. I believe the company has changed hands and it's now owned by Viking, I believe. So uh, what, parts, what are you needing? You, the, the parts don't exist. What's going on with Le Cornu? The, the part has to come from France. It's on its way, apparently, okay. but it's been three months and uh, no one in Calgary. I found one person who will work on it, but technically it's not really supposed to, but he knows how. No one will work on these ovens. In I Calgary. will work on it. Come over I, and fix wait, this if, damn If oven. we can't, I bet you we can find something on YouTube. You and I can do it. Maybe La Cornet bottom element. Cor- I bet you there's. I bet you there's <laughs> 25 nerdy weirdos that have like, if your bottom element goes out in your Le Cornet, here's how to fix it. We'll find it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go online and find it. We could just rig it up with some tin foil. You know, maybe okay, some so like that's, dental so there, floss. There is 1890 yeast. So the bread thing we've gone through, yeah. uh, there's been lots of stages with people making things. Mm-hmm. I would be remiss to not talk about what has happened with vegan food in the mm-hmm. last year and how it has exploded onto the scene. Now, I chalk it up to a lot of different things. Uh, we know that the coronavirus has shone a light on a lot of marginalized, weak cracks in our social makeup. Mm-hmm. Homelessness, long care, long care home, uh, seniors in long care homes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. food insecurity, mm-hmm. um, where our food comes from, animal welfare, animal mm-hmm. cruelty. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of slaughterhouses went down because oh. of the massive amount of Yep. hardworking people who were not looked after well enough. And, you know, I think, you know, sometimes there was too 
300 people that all had coronavirus and they had to shut these places down. Anyway, and I think the internet has lent itself to people seeing how all this stuff, anyway, so many great vegan products. I know, Julie, that you highlight different things from time to time. Yeah. People are making stuff, you know, Meatless Mondays are really catching on. Yep. Uh, People are really stepping up to having one or two plant-based meals a week, which is fantastic. Totally. Like how for the environment, for for so many different reasons, uh, it's been really exciting to watch that unfold. Yep. Yeah, I think you're right. People are are making their their eating decisions based, you know, on environmental factors and ethical issues and and realizing how much you can do with with vegetables and beans, pulses. I mean, I'm a huge bean fan. And uh and you know, they're great for for farmers, they're good for crop rotation, they're inexpensive, they're affordable, they're shelf-stable, um, they're in cuisines all around the world, right? Yeah. And and in Canada, we're intimidated by the idea of soaking a bean, right? <laughs> like, what? What do I put? What do I soak it? Do I, you don't even have to soak it. We could do a whole segment on beans. You don't even have to soak your beans. Uh, but, but yeah, but they're very meaty. I mean, texturally, yeah. they're, they're so meaty. And I think people are a little uh, afraid of uh, a firm tofu as well. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I could have you over to my house, the things I can make with tofu. I can make a fried chicken sandwich with tofu. Give me a, a firm, extra firm tofu. Give me some cornstarch. Give me some yep. spices. And give me a damn, uh, an inch of any kind of canola, olive oil, whatever kind of oil you want to give me in a, in a frying pan. And I can make you the crispiest damn freakishly great chicken sandwich with a mayonnaise and lettuce and some tomato slices and a great bun. And you would just be mind boggled of how satisfying it is. Um, But yeah, anyway, in our last minute here, I want to thank you guys so much for joining us today. I want to thank all our listeners at Spotify, a new partner of ours. If you're listening to our podcast, you can hit subscribe to the Jan Arden podcast and you don't even have to be looking for us every week. You can just be reminded and we'll pop up in your thing. Julie Van Rosendahl, as always, I'm going to be talking to you over the next couple of weeks, which is exciting. And let's talk more about soaking a bean. Don't be afraid to soak your beans. My gosh, if you can, if you can make toast, you can soak a bean. That's true. This is true. It's even easier, I think, to soak a bean. And once again, just to, uh, Send so much love, so much support, a huge hug from all of us um, at the team here at our podcast, everyone, of course, that Caitlin works with, friends, family, and to all the people that Kyle and Caitlin and Sam have never even met uh, all across this country and everyone listening to the podcast who have all followed along uh, with us, with Caitlin and and Kyle. Um, We just want to remind you one more time about uh, going, go to Caitlin Green. It's C-A-I-T-L-I-N Green. Caitlin Green is her Twitter handle. And, and that's easier for me to tell you that, to go on. And there's a link so you can donate to Sunnybrook. You, there's a link uh, for you. You can support Sam and raise money for all these things, these, these unanswered questions in, um, you know, sudden infant death that there's, there's so many things that they, they need to figure out and to help other families avoid this. Thank you for listening. Um, look after yourselves. We are getting there. Stay positive, stay focused, stay safe. Wear a mask, still practice your social distancing. Um, we've gone this far, we can make it through. And we're thinking about all of you and, and please write us at the Jan Arden Podcast on Twitter. 
Let us know if you have any questions. And next week, we'll be back with more informative things. We'll talk more about food. We'll talk more about, I can't believe, there were so many things I wanted to ask you about friendships. And anyways, Adam's winding me up. Not winding me up. He's giving me the old twiddly. Okay. We're a minute over. Now we're a minute late. That, that's okay. Fine. Okay. <laughs> we, we love you guys. Talk to you soon. Toodly do. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.